almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do ask this. And Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may today and always be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, here we are earlier this month in November. It was the midterm season, and if you're from Ohio, you know what that means. You're assaulted in every which way with political ads, right? I even had one on YouTube. I was watching one of my, you know, geeky Anglican uh, history things, and up comes this ad for one of the issues. It's even pervaded YouTube. It's, it's times like this that I'm thankful that God's kingdom is indeed a kingdom, not a democracy or even a republic, that his kingdom is established by him, and we know that he will return one day, and his kingdom will have no end. On this weekend after Thanksgiving, I'm most thankful for that. But I also remember, I'm also reminded of Colossians 1.31, where St. Paul writes that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. You see, we as Christians, as followers of Christ, are always going to be torn between two kingdoms between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom eternal. But one day, that will not be the case. One day, that will not be the case. For if we take our creeds, if we take the scriptures seriously, we know that that will one day not be the case, that one day all rule will be under the rule of Christ the king. And just to give you a little bit of historical background, Christ the King Sunday is a relatively new feast in the church year. It comes on the last Sunday before Advent. It comes the last Sunday before we start preparing for Christmas. And it actually comes out of a very dark time in the world. The year was 1925. And the Bishop of Rome... Pius XI saw the world darkening. Now think, what's going on in 1925? Lots of things are happening, right? Some things are good. The first motel is opened in the United States, 1925. Sears opens their first store in 1925. The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, published in 1925. But there's some really not-so-great things, too, going on. Democratic rule wasn't going very well at that point. The duly elected prime minister of Italy, Benito Mussolini, declares himself 
dictator in 1925. Adolf Hitler publishes Mein Kampf in 1925. In the United States, the KKK marches in Washington 30,000 men strong in 1925. Perhaps you've seen some of that grainy video footage. And people were really asking, is Christ king? What's going on in the world? And maybe you find yourself today asking, is Christ king? What's going on in my life? What's going on in the world around me? You see, it's no wonder that as the Bishop of Rome established Christ the King Sunday in 1925, we Anglicans, the Lutherans, and just about everybody liturgical adopted it and said, yes, we need a day to remember that in addition to an Ascension Day, to remember that at the end of all time, Christ will reign as King. And there'll be no question whatsoever whose will is supreme. Jesus teaches us to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus teaches us to pray that, those two petitions are intrinsically linked. You can't separate one from the other. Why? Because in the Greek, the word for kingdom is basileia. And that word literally means the authority or the rule of. The rule of. So you could just as easily translate thy kingdom come as thy rule or thy authority come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see how the two are connected? One is his sovereign will as king. The other is his will as a man. Intrinsically linked in today's gospel passage, Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate and he's been beaten by temple guards. And we see from Luke's gospel that they had blindfolded and beat him. We see from Matthew's gospel that they had spat upon him. We see here in, in this uh, gospel reading from John that he's led to the house of Pilate. He's not looking much like a king. Perhaps just as the kingdom doesn't look much like his kingdom from time to time. Open with me in your Bibles to John chapter 18. We're going to look a little bit at the text this morning from the gospel. If you don't have your Bible with you, I invite you to look at the inserts because it's there too. Look at verse 36 in chapter 18. Jesus answered Pontius Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. Full stop there. My kingdom is not of this world. You know that word there for kingdom is once again that word basileia. My kingdom is not of this world. My rule is not of this world. My authority is not of this world, Jesus tells Pontius Pilate, who's questioning him about what? Kingship, right? We could easily read this also. My dominion or my authority is not of this world. First of all, Jesus' kingdom doesn't originate in this world. And that's important for us to remember. Because as men and women, we like to think that the world revolves around us. That's part of our sinful fallen nature. We like to think that everything goes around us, around our values, around our wills, around our priorities. And the first thing here is to see that no, that's not the case. In fact, 
the kingdom of God doesn't even depend upon what churches think, what they vote on. The kingdom of God is established. The kingdom of God is unchanging. The rule of God is unchangingly founded on God and nothing else. His authority, his dominion, Jesus specifically, are derived from God the Father. Second of all, politically, Jesus is no threat to Rome or any other nation for that, for that matter because Jesus' primary goal is not a political one. This blows us away because having, being the people of, of, of a democratic republic, being a people that understand elections, people that have been taught from day one that authority is derived from the consent of the people, it's hard for us to see this. But Jesus' kingdom is not a political one. Jesus' kingdom is not a threat to Rome or any other nation. In fact, St. Augustine writes this. He says, Hear then, ye Jews and Gentiles, hear, O circumcision, hear, O uncircumcision, hear all ye nations of the earth. I interfere not with your government in this world. My kingdom is not of this world, writes St. Augustine. Not once does Jesus campaign. He doesn't make a political ad. He doesn't build a coalition. He doesn't go out and march for a cause. He doesn't go and, you know, lobby Pontius Pilate. He has nothing to say regarding Roman rule. In fact, the only thing he has to say about it is, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God. If Jesus had said something political, it would have easily got him killed. You might be thinking, well, yes. Hang on. Roman, Suetonius, Roman historian Suetonius writes of the king prophesied about the rise of a king from the Jews that was going to rule the world. And so J Jewish leaders knew, and some Romans knew, that there was this king supposed to come from Judea. There was a buzz in the Roman world about a king and rebellion coming out of Judea. And Jesus doesn't make a political point, and yet ironically, it's a turn in irony that he's brought before Pontius Pilate on what? What's the charge? Is it a religious point? Well, kind of. But the Jewish leaders know that ain't going to fly with Rome. So what charge do they bring against Jesus? This man claims to be king. You see it in today's passage. What's going on here? Pilate's questioning him about his kingship. Why? Because it's perceived as a political threat. It makes the rest of verse 36 make so much more sense, doesn't it? Look at the rest of the verse. My kingdom is not of this world. That's the first part. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Do you see what Jesus is saying? If this was a political kingdom, 
my servants, my subjects, my citizens, my followers would be right here by my side. And here's the great irony. Who gets released instead of Jesus? Barabbas. What has Barabbas done to be imprisoned? He started a political rebellion. Just see. My kingdom is not of this world, says Jesus. Yet Jesus doesn't shrink from his true kingship. Even in the face of Pontius Pilate, who has the power of life and death and torture, how does Jesus, how does Jesus speak to him? He doesn't shrink from his kingship. Look at verse 37. Then Pontius Pilate said to him, So you're a king. Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, for this, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He says that he's come to bear witness to the truth. What does that mean? It means that Jesus' kingship is unlike any political kingship. It's unlike any political campaign. Jesus' kingship is a kingship that doesn't reign principally with power, but with truth. Note the contrast. What does a kingdom that's ruled on power and fear get you? A dictator. Jesus is not our dictator. Jesus is our king. He's someone that rules by truth with authority. And power mixed with truth is what gives dominion and authority. It's an important distinction. It's certainly something Pilate, as a representative of Caesar, could possibly understand. Anglican bishop from the 19th century, J.C. Ryle, writes, The only dominion he, that is Jesus, exercised was over men's hearts. And the only weapon that his subjects employed were spiritual weapons. A kingdom which required neither money nor servants, for its support was one which the Roman emperors need not be afraid and what Jesus is doing here is giving Pontius Pilate an opening. He's giving Pontius Pilate an opportunity to come be a part of the real kingdom. I don't know if you see this, but Jesus, even as he's being tried, is witnessing to the truth. Jesus, even as he's being tried, is saying, that's the world's way. There is a better way, Pilate. Do you want to know what the truth is? You see, it's, a, it's an evangelistic moment here. It's, it's really quite amazing that Jesus would take this time to do that with Pontius Pilate of all people. Sadly, Pilate declines. Look at his answer. Pilate said to him, what is truth? What is truth? And that's the answer that happens far too frequently, isn't it? We look at what God gives us. We see the gifts for which we should be thankful. We see the authority 
of the just of God. And we ask, what is truth? We fall into despair. We seek after power instead. Rather than looking to him and his kingdom, which influences men's hearts and women's souls, instead, what do we do? We try to take it on our own and build it by our own might. Christians face this in modern America with all sorts of distractions from the truth. When we make things about a social agenda, when we make things about a political agenda, when we make things about rights, which of course are God-given, but are not the main purpose of the gospel, we get confused and we mix up the kingdoms. Yes, we're to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and we're to enact it as we can personally. But ultimately, the authority rests with the Lord. The power of restoration rests with Jesus Christ, the King, who will one day return. Bishop Ryle continues, He, that is Jesus, came to arm with no weapon but the truth, to testify to fallen man the truth about God, the truth about sin, about the need of a Redeemer, about the nature of holiness, to declare and lift up before man's eyes. The servants of Christ in every age must remember that our Lord's conduct in this place is meant to be their example. What's the good bishop saying? Jesus before Pontius Pilate is meant to be our example as Christians before power. To speak truth into it in love. To say there's another kingdom. There's a better way. We're going to have an opportunity to do that together as a congregation in a couple weeks at Light Up Lakewood on the streets of our own city. We have an opportunity to say, there's a better way, you know. There's another kingdom, you know. There's a better way to live your life consistently with God's word, consistently with the rule of Christ, you know. It's an amazing opportunity that we're given to follow Christ's example. I hope that those of you that will be with us that week will, or that weekend will be able to do that. But for all of us, we have that opportunity daily. Today, we're celebrating a baptism. A baptism on Christ the King Sunday. And we're celebrating another person entering into the eternal kingdom of the church and into Christ's triumphal reign. We confess that one day Jesus shall return to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. And until that day, we're to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But as Christians, as those that are baptized, we have the privilege of doing that with all of our will, at least all of that will that the Holy Spirit's regenerated within us. We have the ability to not just pray that, but live in that, because we have a foot in both kingdoms. And Greta is going to start that journey today. Greta is going to start that journey as part of not the kingdom of darkness, but the kingdom of light. She, as a baby, is going to witness to us God's love. How is that? I love that verse. Did you catch it in the hymn of Jesus shall reign? And in infant babes, their voices shall proclaim their blessings upon his name. Because Greta 
by becoming part of God's family today is showing how God's greatness, goodness, and mercy takes us even before we can choose him. He chooses us. Even before we can say, yeah, I want to be part of his kingdom, he says, I want you to be part of my kingdom. Come be part of my kingdom. We're going to see that today in the sacrament of holy baptism. So let us witness with our words and our actions, first reminding ourselves and then reminding others that this world is passing away. Empires, power, presidencies, kings, Caesars, all that's going to pass away. But Christ the King will be forever, just as that Revelation passage we read speaks of. There's times when it seems that God is not in control. There's times when it seems that Christ is not king. There's times when it seems that nobody's tending this world. And it's in these times that we need to remember that it's not only Christ who's in control, but he's in control whether the situation's a natural disaster, politics, disease, or any circumstance. And that one day, all of those things will be in alignment with his will. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth its successive journeys run. His kingdom spread from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. Our first aim, and again, we see it, we'll see it in Greta, because this is from the prayer book. Our first aim is this, one, to receive the sign of the cross. Two, to, be, to not be ashamed to confess the faith of, faith of Christ crucified. Three, to fight bravely against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And four, to continue to be a faithful servant until the end of our days. We all can be assured that Christ is king. Christus rex And he's not just your king. And he's not just my king. He is the king. And he will come. And there will be no exceptions. And he will judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom, his right rule, shall have no end. Amen.